Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone. My name is Jack Rico, and welcome to episode 145 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. My guest today... Culture doesn't necessarily need to come from a, an Anglo country. I think the pop culture is going to come from either Mexico or Ghana or Korea. Uh, and that that makes me really happy. That's Camilo Lara, the brainchild behind one of the most innovative musical band in decades, Mexican Institute of Sound. We discuss the meaning behind his new single, My America Is Not Your America, why racism exists in Mexico, how he collaborated with Pixar's Oscar-winning film Coco, and how he believes that pop culture will no longer come from America, but from other cultures of the world. It's a candid and memorable conversation you won't want to miss. But before we get started, it's time I give you my weekly review of what's happening in Latinx pop culture in a segment I like to call Jack Did. Let's begin with the top movie, TV, and music news of the week. Guatemalan actor Oscar Isaac will star in the movie adaptation of the video game Metal Gear Solid. Diego Luna will reprise his Rogue One role as Cassian Andor in the prequel series. Bat Bunny's new album El Ultimo Tour del Mundo has made history as the first Spanish-language album to ever debut number one on the Billboard 200. Netflix's Selena, the series, is the number one streaming show on Netflix. Country pop star Carrie Underwood and David Bisbal collaborate on Tears of Gold. NBC is developing a female Zorro drama from Robert Rodriguez and Sofia Vergara and the Latinx reboot of One Day at a Time has officially been canceled. And in tech and social media news, Reddit buys Dub Smash, known to be the TikTok for Black and Latinx people. Facebook is being sued to sell off Instagram and WhatsApp. Disney Plus grows to 86.8 million US subscribers. Apple has released Apple AirPods Max headphones for $549. The highly anticipated video game Cyberpunk 2077 of Keanu Reeves is out now. You can now add tweets to your Snapchat, and the meditation app Headspace has a new meditation show on Netflix. Camilo Lara is the brainchild of Mexican Institute of Sound, who have a new album called Distrito Federal, released in January 2021, with collaborations with Gorillaz and Blur, just to name a few. David Gilmour of Pink Floyd called Distrito Federal his favorite album of the year. Amongst his many achievements, Camilo was the musical consultant of Pixar's Oscar-winning Coco, one of my favorite films, Camilo. We'll talk about that in just a few. And he's done music for the upcoming season three of Narcos Mexico. Big deal with that. Uh, his work has also been featured on Breaking Bad, Y Tu Mama Tambien, another great movie of mine, Californication, and Ugly Betty. Camilo, welcome to the Highly Relevant Podcast. Hi, Jack. Great to be here. So happy Dude, to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you, my man. <laughs> likewise, likewise. <laughs> um, so I understand that the new album, Distrito Federal, is a love letter 
to Ciudad Mexico. And the first thing I'm thinking, okay, you're Mexican. Why wasn't this your first album right off the bat? Right. Well, funny enough, most of all my music uh, revolves around uh, where I, like my city and uh, my culture. I mean, my band is called Mexican Institute of Sound. So uh, I'm pretty much in love with uh, my surroundings. And, and uh, that's, I've been, on uh, all the records and projects I have done, uh, there's, also, there's always a kind of... Um, a, a roots kind of thing uh, around Mexico and, and my mm-hmm. culture. So uh, I think I think uh, on on this record I've been I've been kind of uh, thinking a lot about the city that is no longer called uh, Distrito Federal. Uh, they changed the name of the city a few years ago. Uh, so it's suddenly the city that you've grown up is not longer the city that you fall in love with. Um, the, the green taxis, the, los bochos, the, the Beatles, um, are no longer, uh, you don't see that anymore. Um, instead of a, a small cafes, there are uh, Oxos and 7-Elevens. And so it, it, it suddenly the city changed. And uh, this is a, a kind of a, a record that kind of a, uh, explore the romantic side of the, the Mexico City that I like when I was growing up and using public transportation and record digging and all that stuff. One of the tracks in the album um, is called My America is Not Your America. It's featuring Graham Coxon from uh, Blur. And it was interesting to me because it reminded me immediately of uh, Childish Gambino's This Is Not America uh, or This Is America, right? And um, I kind of wanted to understand from your perspective why you decided to title this song like that. Why did you want to create a song like that? What is your relationship with America? And um, what are you trying to say from social commentary through this song about America and why your America, which is Mexico America, probably is, you know, historically, (laughs) um, but it's not your America. So which America do you know that we don't? Yes, I think that the main idea was that for me, America was uh, the Mapuches in Chile, the Tarahumaras in uh, in the northern part of Mexico, uh, the Canadians, like all sort of different people and colors and ideology. And and when it comes to America, it seems uh, I was like. Um, very sad and uh, uh, like hear about Trump's wall. So I, I thought like that America is not is not open the arms for Americans and 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 that's crazy. Like and and they're treating really bad uh, our Mexican uh, uh, people that is trying to go to America and try to work in America. So it was a double meaning thing like from one side like america is everything it's and and america is a thought you know like i think america as a thought should be an inclusion thing and and seems like it was heading the wrong way like america was for a few instead for all and that was my my main thing um so it has two kind of readings uh, i guess so in 1829, Mexico abolished slavery. America didn't do it for another 30 years in 1865. 
And in your video, you have some black people, you know, and it kind of led me to this whole thing. When you studied the history of Mexico, um, at least modern Mexico, you start thinking of Gaspar Yanga. You start thinking about the Afro-Mexicans that live in Mexico that deny their race. We've seen too many documentaries of Mexicans saying that they're not black, that they have no type of black in them whatsoever. Um, Yet, there's so many blacks that go to Mexico. There's so many Mexicans that are black. Can you explain a little bit about your relationship with racism in Mexico and also racism in America as well and how you live interweaved in all of that? Oh, my God. Like, uh, I think uh, um, uh, we have we have uh, endemic uh, racism and, and, and it's combined with classism. And I think... Why uh, is that? Why is that, Camilo? Why, why, why is there I, such racism in Mexico when you guys are, are better, supposedly better than America, right? Than North America, than the United States? Well, yeah, but, uh, well, I don't think we're better, but I, I think we're just, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a society that out of uh, 150 million, probably 45 million people lives in, in poverty. So uh, half of that, like, uh, let's say 50 million lives in poverty and 100 million uh, are uh, middle classers. And only like a very tiny piece of that pie is, um, is rich people. So the, 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 the class, the, the, the fight of classes is, it's huge. And, and the racism is systematic because uh, uh, you can be judged for the car you have or the, the work you do. Or, um, and that's, that has been since the Aztecs probably. Like uh, we had that system that is, uh, uh, it's, it's very hard and it's terrible. And, and I think uh, um, that has been one of the biggest problems as a country. Like we haven't, we haven't embraced and support our poor people to leave poverty and being become middle classers. So uh, it's, it's a huge deal and, and it's a mindset. Um, so uh, we have to, a lot to work about it. <laughs> so I'm looking at the back and we're doing the zoom call right now. And I'm looking at the back of the background of <laughs> your video, man. And there is one of the biggest massive walls of CDs I have ever seen in my life. It's almost like, our records or virgin records back in the day. Can you talk to me a little bit about this collection that you have here and your musical influences that have created Mexican Institute of Sound? Yes. Um, I used to have a massive collection. Uh, this, what you see is nothing. Uh, wow. Uh, I used to have like probably like 45,000 vinyls and 50,000 CDs. And, uh, Recently, uh, I gave it away to a, a, a place where it can handle it, and it can. Um, and, and it's a public library, so people can go and, and use it. Um, but I kept a few, and this is the one uh, you're seeing. And, and I have a few vinyls still, but uh, I, I'm a record collector, so that's what I, mm. I do. Uh, I love record digging, sampling my my. First instrument was sampler, so I uh, the albums were my where I 
found the sounds to do music. So I, 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 I used to spend all time recording and, and finding music. Um, can, so can you talk to can you talk to me about your musical sound? Uh, because when I listen to Mexican Institute of Sound, I'm trying to nail down what genre this is, man, and and I'm having problem describing it to my friends that might not have heard your music, my black friends, my white friends, my all types of friends, and some of them are like, yeah, this is really different than everything else I've seen, and then some people really dig it. Can you explain to me what this cocktail of sounds to create MIS, Mexican Institute of Sound, is exactly? Well, um, when I was growing up, I, uh, I, I had two different kind of music going on in my life. Uh, being a middle classer in Mexico City and having two brothers uh, that were kind of new waivers, they were listening to The Cure and Bauhaus and all these kind of um, bands from the UK that were uh, kind of cool and goth. And, uh, <laughs> but when I leave my house uh, right outside, there were always cumbia sounding and cumbia and so on, mambo. Um, so when I was growing up, uh, uh, I started record digging and do, using sampler as, a, as, as, a, as an instrument. And instead of sampling whatever everyone samplers, I started record digging for mambo, danzón, cha-cha-cha, cumbia, and started using those sounds. So in my head, I wanted to sound like The Clash or Kraftwerk or <laughs> um, electronic music or hip hop, but it ended up sounding like Mexican music. So uh, at the beginning, it was kind of an experiment that, that, that just uh, throw that. And I started embracing it. And I thought like, oh, it's, uh, I love the way the trumpet sounds and I love the beat. Um, so I started doing that. And then I realized I had two passions, um, Mexican music and, and, and Latino music. And, um, and I love punk rock, I love hip hop. I love electronica, um, so I kind of uh, being flirting with all those genres. But my my music is it comes from uh, the sound of uh, Latin America, like Cuba, uh, Mexico, um, and basically l later in my life I discovered cumbia was my my jam. It was the rhythm mm -hmm. that it was easy to dance and it was easy to play, uh, like punk rock, that it, you don't need to be like super virtuoso to play it. <laughs> and I'm not a virtuoso, but I like the simplicity of it. So cumbia for me was perfect. And then I realized uh, cumbia, uh, there was cumbia everywhere in Latin America. Oh yeah, from, Colombia is uno de esos. From, oh, oh, well, Colombia is, is like the Nashville of, of cumbia. <laughs> so, um, but you had cumbia from Canada to Argentina. Uh, and they they kind of uh, make it the wrong way. Uh, so cumbia, in a way, is a hip hop of Latin America. It's a rhythm that goes across the the, the Latino diaspora, and, and it's uh, fantastic, and it's um, it's simple, and it's just uh, it's a basic rhythm. It's so old that uh, uh, it's perfect. I love it. It's it's as strong as as reggae or these very powerful uh, rhythms. I had I had been to Ciudad Mexico for you know like maybe a half a dozen times, and one of the fascinations that I have is that there's an extremely dependence on American culture in Mexico. Uh, 
there's this been this cacophony of Mexicans not wanting to be dependent on American culture. You seem to be very into hanging out with uh, U.S. artists and U.S. music and U.S. culture. Do you grapple with that? Are you okay loving America from the entertainment perspective, the music, the history of it? Or do you want to just get rid of that and become your own Mexican person with your own Mexican identity? <laughs> just have a global cocktail of things, but, you know, Mexican. Oh, well, I mean, the U.S. is the, the, the big brother always and always be. Uh, I, I grow up. Uh, with uh, American culture. Uh, and it is impossible not to grow up with that in Mexico. And later in life, I discovered like a city, like a city like LA, for example, uh, had so many things of what I am that uh, later in life, I, I start gravitating between Mexico City and, and Los Angeles. Uh, so I feel... I belong to those two places. I spend a lot of time in both cities, um, and I and I always and I always uh, loved American culture and and love pop culture in general. Uh, what I do think is very interesting in this time is that culture doesn't necessarily need to come from a, a, a an Anglo country like the meaning the UK or the US. I think the the, the 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 pop culture is going to come from either Mexico or Ghana or Korea uh, and that that makes me really happy it's not that i don't love american or or uk music but i do think uh, the world uh, deserves to have more diversity and and that's fantastic um but definitely my pop culture i mean i i, I i'm a pop uh, culture addict, and I love uh, all, uh, all, all what I, whatever pop culture can give me. No, talk to me about Coco. This is one of my favorite movies. Tell me how you got close to this movie that won the Oscar and that represented Mexico in a way that America had never really truly done before. It was completely random. I got a, a message on Facebook saying like, hey, I'm Lee, I, I direct Toy Story and Monster Inc. Uh, <laughs> sounds like a joke, but uh, I'm, I'm real. Uh, and I'm listening to your music and I love it and I would love to have you on my film. So that, that was my first approach to that. And wow. Uh, after after um, just... Uh, realizing it was not a joke. I, I took a few meetings in, in, on Pixar and um, I discovered Lee was actually a big fan of my music and he, he wrote the beginning of the script uh, listening to my music. So uh, he invited me to join the project and what, the very first thing I, we, we had a conversation about was that in my mind all the... Uh, animated films that uh, that show Mexicans were little mice with big hats that sleep outside a, a bullfight plaza and took naps. And I was like, "That's not the idea. I want to. If if that this project is that, I don't want to be involved. Um, I I would love uh, if if I I think Mexico deserves more than that." 
portrait uh, on, a, on an animated film. And later I started discovering it was actually um, a beautiful kind of a homage to Mexican culture. And, and so I, I got involved. I, I started um, helping with all the recordings. Uh, I had a few songs on, on, the, on the movie. And, and it was beautiful. The, the, um, I remember the last day we were recording in Mexico City with all the team. Uh, uh, Trump won the election. That's right. Uh, the, the, very, the, the very same day. And it was at that moment I, I had a conversation with Lee and I told him, like, your, your movie is becoming a political weapon because it's very brave <laughs> to make a film in the new Trump era talking uh, about how amazing is Mexico while he's uh, do, saying the opposite, you know? Um, so I, I think it was brave and it was amazing to have that. And at the same time in Mexico, there was like the horror wave of uh, uh, narco uh, violence. So for me to have that kind of a beautiful, amazing uh, movie to show how beautiful is the, my culture, it was very important. Uh, the only way to fight violence and, and, and hate is to show uh, something super positive. And this was the, the perfect way to put a, 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 a daisy flower in a cannon, you know? It was, it was a beautiful way to, to fight something horrible that was happening to, to Mexico. You know? I, I always told uh, everyone at, the, at Pixar, like, what is, what is uh, worse to have Trump in power? I was saying, being a Mexican, having Trump in power, that's even worse. <laughs> like, so <laughs> uh, so it was, it was uh, very brave and, and, and I really... I feel very lucky to be part of that um, amazing project. You mentioned Narco not too long ago. I know that you are composing or doing music for Narcos Mexico season three. Uh, that to me is pretty huge because uh, you had Diego Luna as a part of it and it's become a big hit here in the United States. Tell me about how that happened and what exactly are you doing with Narcos? Is it just music? Yes, I've, I've been working on all the Mexico season, uh, the, oh, okay. the three, uh, the three uh, uh, seasons. And um, I, I do all the incidental music. I've been working with uh, Liza Richardson, which is the musical supervisor for a long time. Um, she was me, my partner in crime with uh, Itumama Tambien a long wow. time ago. Oh, cool. uh, so so uh, having this project uh, together is uh, it's fantastic, and I and I love uh, I love Narcos. Like it's such a great TV show. It is. It's very entertaining. Um, finally, just before we uh, get out of here, uh, Camila, wanted to talk about your favorite songs on the new album, Distrito Federal. Um, what are the, some of the tracks that you want people to, to know more deeply that you, maybe you can explain about where those songs come from that are very personal and connecting to you? This whole album has, uh, each song is an idea of wh whatever I think it, it's happening in Mexico or things that I remember or things that I love or things that I hate. Um, but uh, the track that opened the album is called Se Compran. 
And if you live in Mexico City, um, there's no way you haven't listened to the guy who buy stuff. Uh, so there's a uh, everywhere in the city there's a band uh, with loudspeakers saying se compran colchones, tambores, refrigeradores, lavadores, microondas, y fierro viejo que venda. So it's like a mantra. Uh, you keep hearing that over and over and over, and it's annoying. Like <laughs> it's, it, it, but it's part of the landscape of the city. Um, so I thought, like, if you take out the, the sound of that and you you say it as poetry, it's almost concrete poetry. It's uh, it's something beautiful. So I made a song about that that treats that. Uh, famous se compran tambores, colchones, lavadoras, microondas, as poetry. What happened if someone would say a poem out of that? And and it's a mantra. And I think it's beautiful. It's it's a mantra of Mexico City. Um, that is one. Um, the second one, it's a song called Dios, that it it's a crossroads that what would happen if you, if you run into... Uh, God and, and the devil. Si me encontrara a Dios, le pediré unas quesadillas. Si me encontrara a Dios, le pediré unas quesadillas. Si me encontrara al chamuco, le pediría chicharrón. Si me encontrara al chamuco, le pediría chicharrón. I, I say, like, if I run into God, I would, I would ask him for a quesadilla. <laughs> and if I run into the devil, I would ask him a gordita. Um, but but my end of the tale is that no matter what you take, what road you take, it, it's the same. Like you you, it, it's the same road at the end of the the the, the road um, because a gordita and a quesadilla are made of the same material and basically it's the same and uh the song is called dios because um i think that's where you can find dios uh, god um i think mexicans are made of blood water and maize and corn uh so um, uh, if you smash a mexican you have a quesadilla or a gordita. <laughs> that's an interesting perspective uh that's actually actually really good bueno, Camilo, muchísimas gracias por, este, por estar aquí con nosotros en the Highly Relevant Podcast. I much appreciated. The name of the album is called Distrito Federal. It comes out January 2021. Camilo, once again, thank you for being on the show. Muchas gracias, Jack. And before I wrap up here, here are three Latin tracks you might want to add to your playlist this weekend. Ahí viene la liebre, de manta su diente, está el caliente y humilde comenzó. La fiebre busca bulla. Cogiste la fiebre que te tienes de mente, tan todo pendiente al nuevo Pronto, clubs. Soy rara, te lo acepto, estoy loca, tengo mis defectos, perdida 
quema. Soto Mayor. Lento, voy retrocediendo y cuento el tiempo que no vi siendo un ciego. Por un segundo mis piernas reclaman el suelo que quema. Por un segundo mis piernas. And that's it for episode 145 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I'd like to thank Amiro Lara for coming on the show. And if you'd like to see the video version of this interview, you can catch it over at my YouTube channel, at Jack Rico. Please subscribe if you feel value in what we do and leave a review on our iTunes page. Also, we have a new podcast about race and pop culture called Brown and Black with Mike Sargent and me. It's available on all podcast platforms. I'm Jack Rico. See you next time on another episode of Highly Relevant. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go. I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.